Hey, Luminous Warriors, it is Natalie Griffin. Good morning. It's a morning podcast. I know usually I make podcasts late in the evening because it's when my house is quiet. And um, and this morning, my house is quiet and I'm so thrilled. So get a cup of coffee and let's talk. Today, what I'm so inspired to talk with you about is the difference between knowledge and wisdom and the difference between magic and alchemy. And, you know, I have a school called Dharma School and a business called Naughty Shaman. And so you can imagine the amazing things that I hear and see in my daily life. It's interesting to me that so much of this has become my new normal. And so many of us that work at the Center for Shamanic Arts, this is uh, our running joke is that this is our new normal. And we see dazzling things and hear dazzling stories And to get into the mood for this podcast, I wanted to share with you a couple of my original dazzling stories. When people come to this path of wisdom, in any path of wisdom, Kung Fu, Tai Chi, um, some of the other beautiful martial arts that contain these wisdom teachings, Um, it could be, you know, mystic Christianity, Kabbalah, there are so many paths, Buddhism, shamanism, yoga, there are deep, deep teachings at the high levels of each of these paths. But for those of us on the beginning of this path, it doesn't start with wisdom. Often it starts with some kind of spiritual two by four that whacks us upside the head and makes us awake to the fact that there is another reality occurring simultaneously with the one that we interact with all day. Shamans call this physical reality, the world where we pay bills and raise kids and I'm making a podcast and you're listening. And this is our consensual or physical reality where we have linear time and appointments and we can all agree on the time of day and that it's sunny or it's rainy. We have consensual agreement about what's happening here in physical reality. Shamans and many of the the other wisdom teachers in all kinds of paths talk about a spiritual reality. You can find these stories in the Bible. You can find these stories in the Torah. You can find these stories in sacred texts all around the world, certainly in the yogic texts, especially the Pantanjali's Yoga Sutras, where he talks about levitation and visions. And so those are the kind of experiences sometimes that are the two by fours that knock people awake. They'll dream of their, you know, beloved Uncle Frank. Um, and Uncle Frank will be standing at the foot of the bed and they're wide awake and there's Uncle Frank and oh my gosh. And there's a break in our consensual reality. All of a sudden, everything we assumed to be, there is now an experience that calls that previous knowledge into question. This is the spiritual two by four for so many people. It makes them realize there's something more going on here than what we can see. Sometimes for people, it's a deep emotional response to a sunset and the deep emotional response to something so quote unquote ordinary makes them question everything they thought to be true. This is the beginning of the spiritual journey is the two by four that causes a break in what has become so ordinary to us that we begin to see that there are extraordinary things around us all the time. I'm going to share with you a couple of stories um, that were my, my break in consensual reality. When I was younger, 
really small, in fact, I began to dream very vividly um, about all sorts of things. And I remember at one point I had a dream about um, walking around a lake with a teacher in a brown robe. And this teacher was talking about all the mysteries of life and why we're here. And I had questions and he answered. And at the end of our walk around the lake, there was a gift. And he said, go grab this gift. It's for you. And I said, well, who's it from? And he just would say, the people. And I'd say, I don't know who they are, but thanks for this gift. And so I would run up the hill to this little altar and and grab the gift. And in one of these dreams, there was a little brown calabash bowl, like a carved out shell husk of a a calabash fruit. And inside was um, a bunch of red and black beans. And, and I didn't realize it until I reached into the little bowl that was in my dream. And I pulled out these red and black beans and they were a necklace of red and black beans. And I was so thrilled. I didn't know what it was or what it meant, but I grabbed the gift and I left and then I woke up from my dream. So many years later, maybe six or seven, I was in college and I was studying the ecosystem of the rainforest and the coral reefs and all the symbiosis that occurs there and all the beauty and wonder of this. And as I was in class outside in this little jungle on St. Thomas, at my feet was a pile of red and black seeds. And I looked down and I lifted these little pile of red and black seeds and yeah, you guessed it, it was a necklace of red and black seeds. And then many, many years later, I found myself in Peru. So I found that necklace on St. Thomas. And then I was in Peru. Or actually, no, it was St. John. One of the Virgin Islands was St. John, where I was snorkeling there. In um, Oh, my gosh, it was so beautiful there. So anyway, fast forward to when I was in Peru, and I find that these red and black seeds are called Wayaruru beads, and they're for protection. And people wear them as bracelets and necklaces all over Peru. And I couldn't believe the synchronicities from this dream when I was young. Another dream that I had when I was in high school, my friend Hillary and I shared on the same evening. We used to drive to school together and talk about wild things, you know, how you are in high school. We were so exploratory and so curious about so many different things. And so I'm driving to school and Hillary's there in the passenger seat. I say, Hillary, I had this crazy dream last night. You're never going to believe it. I was in this underground temple and time had passed and there were cobwebs everywhere. And I walked in, there were, there were four doors into this temple, one at the north, one at the south, one at the east, one at the west. And I walked down into this old temple and there was a reflecting pool at the bottom of the temple and there was moss on it and, and kind of like that slime that collects in a pond after it's been dormant for a long time. And so, you know, for some reason in this dream, Hillary, I decided to do, um, to just dive right into this reflecting pool. And when I came up out of this reflecting pool, I noticed that up on the steps, up at the top of this temple, in one of the corners of this temple, there was a lion-headed throne. Huge, huge stone throne with big paws on the side of the arms and big paws at the sides of the foot of the throne. And when I came up out of the water, the lion came to life and walked down those steps right at me. And the lion had a scroll in its paw. And he unrolled this long, long scroll, and we talked for hours in my dream about pyramids and stars and everything on life and how it came to be. And then I woke up, 
and I have no idea what's going on. It's so crazy, right? So we're driving to high school, and she has her jaw in her lap because then she says to me, Allie, that was my nickname, Allie, I had a dream about the same temple. But in my dream, it was totally different. The temple was alive, and it was filled with sunlight, and the four doors were there, and the lion-headed throne was there, and you were there. You were there in my dream, and you were sitting on this throne. And there were people coming into the temple, and there was a party going on, and it's just, what's happening to us? And we drove to high school with our eyes wide open. I think we were chain-smoking cigarettes at the time, and just freaking out about how did this happen? How did we have the same dream about the same double? This is so weird. What's going on? Are we going crazy? We don't know. Who can we tell? Who can we trust? There was a tremendous amount of anxiety and fear about this unusual experience that we shared. So we did what most people do. We never talked about it again. (laughs) We never talked about it again. And that's what happens to a lot of people at the beginning of the spiritual path. They have these incredible magical experiences that are unexplainable through rational thought, through science, through these things that are here in our consensual reality. They're not explainable. They're wondrous. They're beyond. They're magnificent. They're extraordinary. They're extraordinary experiences. And these experiences in of themselves do not create wisdom. These experiences do not create wisdom. They are magic. They are something incredibly special. I remember one time I was meditating. I was much older. I was an adult by now and had kids and everything, but I was meditating for 14 days straight for at least about two hours a day. And it was really deep in my practice of shamanic journey and meditation And I'd gotten instructions from one of my guides in spiritual reality and said, sit for 14 days and travel with this guide and um, write down everything that you see. So I did because, you know, you do what you said, what they say. So on these journeys for 14 days, I remember meditating. I'm, I'm sitting like I buy kids, get on the bus, and then I sit and meditate. And in these meditations over a period of time, I start just watching my breath starts so simple. And then over time, all of a sudden, I'm having these visceral experiences of standing in the middle of a supernova, of standing in the middle of the Big Bang and watching the universe unfold, watching the the cosmos assemble itself based on similar vibrations, similar frequency, similar density, and, and watching these collectives of matter develop into solar systems the Milky Way, different things. And I could feel in my skin the heat right here in my front yard. It was an unbelievable experience, and I didn't know quite what it meant. And that's the question we get most often. What does it mean? Some people will come into the center for shamanic arts, and they'll be wide-eyed and kind of looking over their shoulders to make sure no one followed them in, and they'll say, I see dead people. (laughs) It's just like the movie The Sixth Sense, and they don't know what to do. They're having these breaks from what they have known as ordinary reality, and they want to know what it means. They'll come in and whisper, I had a dream, and then I met the person in my dream. Does that mean we need to get married? Does that mean we need to do this? What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? And we are all on a quest for meaning. We want to make meaning out of these things. So I've been reading one of my favorite books 
by Jack Cornfield, who's just an amazing teacher. Um, he's been around a long time, and, and he has written many books and, and done many, many workshops. And he follows the Buddhist path of meditation. And I love his books uh, because they are really rooted in the heart center, which for me is where the truth lives. So I love reading his books, and I want to share this quote with you. He says, The dazzling effects of lights and visions, the powerful releases of rapture and energy are wonderful sign of breakdowns to the old structures of our being. These are signs of breakdown in what we have known to be true in our body, in our mind, and in our reality. However, these experiences of lights and visions do not in themselves produce wisdom. I love that quote. Because I've also been in spiritual circles where the dominant um, topic of conversation and teaching is how to have mystical experiences. These are the people that want to go, and they always ask me, hey, do you do ayahuasca? Can I do ayahuasca? I want to do ayahuasca. I want to experience God. I want to experience the cosmos. I want to experience this. What they're really telling me is they want to escape their life, oftentimes. So these mystical experiences of visions, of incredible dreams, of incredible teachers and healers coming in dreams, do not in themselves produce wisdom. This is not wisdom, but this is magic. It's extraordinary. They are signposts in your journey. But they are not in themselves wisdom. The wisdom comes from work. The wisdom comes from alchemizing these experiences into something useful. This is what shamans call the making of medicine. Sometimes in spiritual circles, I'll hear people almost compete over who has had the most mystical experiences. And for many of you, even my students who I've had for five years, that might be the first time or second time they've ever heard these stories. Because these stories are not what this journey is about. They are amazing. And yes, I could probably impress thousands of people with these stories, and maybe someday I will. Wouldn't that be? Maybe I'm doing it right now. Wouldn't that be magnificent? But it isn't the goal of these stories. These stories came to me. These experiences happened to me and to you and to those of us who have had them because they are signposts in our journey that we are awake to a larger scope of reality. This is important. At this moment, when we have this awakening, we have a choice to make, that we can either take up the mantle of responsibility for learning how to make wisdom out of these experiences of learning and the teachings, the context, the responsibility, the ethics, the safety protocols, all the rest. How deep are we going to go into this exploration of what is extraordinary? Or are we going to not go on that journey? There's a choice point here. After the two by four smacks you in the head and you're awake to the fact that, oh my gosh, there's a whole nother reality available to me for exploring. And the choice becomes, am I going to go on this journey into the unknown as a great luminous warrior and adventurer? Or am I going to go back to simply living in consensual reality? And believe me, my friends, I have had many a day where I wish I would have taken the blue pill and stayed in consensual reality and not gone down into these wonderful, um, what we call rabbit holes, into these wonderful experiences um, into other realities. 
So once that choice is made to go deeper down the path, and many of you, if you're listening to this podcast, have already decided to go down the rabbit hole, let's be honest. So welcome, welcome. It's an incredible journey of wisdom that you will never regret because your life will be filled with purpose, filled with meaning, and the things that stress most people out that only live in ordinary reality do not stress us out because we understand that there is much more going on than that person who gave you a crazy look at the grocery store. There's much more going on than the argument you just had with your lover. There's a much bigger reality occurring here, and we are a part of it. So Jack Cornfield in his book breaks this down for us, and I wanted to share with you that there are schools of thought here. So this is a little bit of context to help deepen your wisdom around this, about how do we use these experiences? What in the heck do we do? So this natural, it's natural for us to have these visions, to be connected to our ancestors. This is a part of history in every culture to connect to spirituality. That's why we have funeral ceremonies. It's why there are often birth ceremonies. It's why there are graduation ceremonies. We mark these rites of passage to honor transitions from one world into the next, from being in a womb into being in life, from being in life to being in the afterlife. We have these incredible rites of passage because we We've understood for millennia that we are operating in multiple realities. So in the schools of thought, there is something called a transcendent path. There are two different paths. One is the transcendent path and one is the imminent path. In the transcendent path, there's a school of thought that the best thing to do is that um, you need to leave the world of matter of material things. This is the the path of transcendence is that your spiritual enlightenment, your wisdom, your deepest and highest potential is available by transcending physical reality, sitting in meditation, fasting, having vision quests, leaving the community to go be in isolation in a mountaintop, in an ashram, in a, in a sequestered village of like-minded people, to go deeper and deeper, deeper into transcending this physical reality. There's a liberation of consciousness that comes through this transcendence. You transcend physical realities. You go up to the mountaintop. Maybe there's no sleep. You have exited left, taking your leave of ordinary reality. And this is the path to gain wisdom. Now, in each of these paths that I'm going to talk about, there are pros and cons. So what the positive things that come from this path of transcending the physical, these are the folks that take vows of chastity. These are the folks that take vows of, of no meat. These are the folks that take vows of, of really limiting or exiting completely ordinary reality. On this path, there's an incredible inspiration. We read these stories, those of us who have not made this choice, who are still living in in, in ordinary reality and raising kids and packing lunches, we find inspiration in these stories. The vision, the clarity that they have, the experience, the wild experience of going into Peru for three years and living with a tribe. This is an amazing inspiration for many of us. There's incredible possibility here. Incredible, limitless possibility in this path because it's a path of transcendence. We're outside the laws of physics on a path of transcendence. We're outside the morals of society. We become amoral, not immoral, but amoral outside the boundaries of convention. There's incredible vision. There's guidance that is provided by spiritual teachers that come There can be incredible healing and transformation on the path of transcendence as well. 
some of the risks on this path is that there's a risk of feeling special because I have done the hard thing of living in the jungle or living in the yurt on top of a mountain and fasting for 28 days and whatever it is. There is, there is this outsider energy that is a risk of this path of not no longer belonging to the tribe. There's a risk also of being different, of actually being outcast, shunned from your village, from your people. There can be extreme loneliness and as mammals in a human body, which we are, we need the human connection. So there have been tragic stories of people following the path of transcendence and slipping over the edge, not being able to come back into ordinary reality. Some people might call this a breakdown or a nervous, you know, a nervous breakdown or something like this, psychological break. But really, it's that the path of transcendence has taken over and they have completely transcended this reality of ordinary reality. The other risk is that they can become attached and addicted to this experience of transcendence. So the experience of, of, of being a part of the birth of the cosmos is so good that then when they come down and have to eat a bowl of rice... They're like depressed. And so then they go seek more and more and more of these transcendent experiences. And in this addiction, in this drive, it can take them again over the edge where they can no longer return to ordinary reality. So those are the risks and positives of this path of transcendence. Conversely, there's a path called the imminent path. I love how Jack names these things. So the imminent path is interesting too, because it's a little bit the opposite. So this is that the path to enlightenment, the path and the doorway into these deep wisdom and spiritual awakening and consciousness is to be uber focused on the present. This is like hold a teacup in your hand and meditate on this object and only this object with complete concentration in this present moment, this teacup in your hand, the weight of it, the, the smell of it, the colors of it, the nuances of it, the textures of it, to focus completely so deeply into this present reality that you break through into spiritual reality. So this is a path. The divine is always present in the imminent path. It is present in the cup of coffee. It is present in this microphone. It is present in the birds that are in my bird feeder right outside. Present in the rain, present in the trees, present in the people around me, present in the cup of coffee that I'm holding. That divine is always present in the imminent path. It is not separate from physical reality. It is infused inside of physical reality. So in this path, it is a practice of sitting, of just being with whatever is present in this moment only. This breath, this word, that's it. No past, no future right now. So the positives of this is that you can have a powerfully integrated life because you are so uber present, very um, alive in the moment. When you connect to that everything is divine, you're constantly in sacred space and there is a complete freedom that comes from this. It also infuses what we would call the profane with the sacred. It infuses the making of lunches for children's lunch boxes, a divine experience because of the plants and, and the things that you're interacting with to make this, the love that you're packing into the lunchbox that connect to the children, that connect to the school, that connect to the community, that connect to the cosmos. So there's this incredible divinity present in every everything that we do on the imminent path. Now, on this path also, there are risks, and the risks are, are those of delusion, 
Um, and especially the, the favorite delusion here, if you go a little bit over the edge on this path, is a complacency to be so present to what is like, oh, I'm in an abusive relationship. He comes home drunk and hits me. And this is present. And it's okay because it's my present reality. There becomes a complacency sometimes and a lack of boundary that creates a lack of safety if we go too far down this path. So this is one of the risks here. Also, there is spiritual bypass available that everything is okay, even though I don't have enough money to feed myself, even though none of my family will speak to me, even though I have no deep, intimate connections with another human being, this is my present moment and everything is okay. There's a lot of talk about this right now, you know, the power of now with Eckhart Tolle and this movement of yoga has created a vehicle or a superhighway around the spiritual work, in my opinion. There are some teachers that just want to go from zero to 60 and not do this hard part of, of being present to the difficulties of life and, and sorting through the pain, the suffering to break through onto the other side. And instead of going to the pain, they go around the pain using this imminent path of being so present. And then what they'll do is put a cherry on top of it often, that the present moment is so good and the divine is here, even here in this moment. And I do have a story about this and why I'm a little passionate in my personal assessments of this path. Because, well, there are times when you need boundaries. This is a very important part of being human. And sometimes when we work in these spiritual realms, we lose our power because we give our power away to either the teacher or we give our power away to the path and we surrender our free will. We surrender our choice to say no. We have stories of this in the communities of Ashtanga Yoga, in the communities of Jiva Mukti Yoga, in a lot of spiritual communities. We have these breaks where students have given their power away to the path or to the teacher. That breach of boundary can be very dangerous on a spiritual path in many ways, as we've seen in the news. So that's the imminent path. And then what I love is the combined path. So that's my passion. And that's what we've created in our shaman with Dharma school is this combination of the transcendence of understanding how to transcend physical reality through shamanic journey, not through the use of hallucinogenic drugs. That is a way to do it, but it's, it's hard to control and it's not that safe. So we do it through shamanic journey and we experience these realms that, that transcend this physical reality. We have experienced what it's like to be free from the conventional wisdom in ordinary reality. And then we also walk the imminent path of infusing the wisdom of spiritual reality, of bringing the nuggets from our journeys out into these magical realms, bringing the wisdom and lessons learned and gifts from spiritual reality into physical reality so that we can make our physical lives better. If your spiritual path does not make your relationships stronger, your experience of joy more prevalent, your ability to contain stress and anxiety and pain and guilt and fear, if it doesn't build strength in your ability to walk through this life with less suffering, then your spiritual path is not working for you. 
you are doing some kind of bypass where you're imagining that you somehow will not have, you will be free of having to pay bills and free of pain if you follow a spiritual path. That is not true. You will definitely continue to have pain. You will definitely continue to have to pay bills. The spiritual path comes to us so that we can do our human experience with grace, with love, with inspiration, with courage. That is the purpose of a spiritual path. When we step into bringing our spiritual experiences into reality and taking the action steps to change our habits, to change our mindset, and to change our lives, now our lives become massively inspirational and we are sharing what we call our medicine with the people around us simply by being who we are. This is the purpose of a spiritual path. My teachers used to say it has to grow corn. It has to feed and nourish. Your life has to feed and nourish the people around you. If you are not a nourishing presence in other people's lives right now, then deepen your practice. Become nourishment for yourself. Learn how to nourish yourself. Learn how to grow corn in your life. Learn how to create a life that makes you feel good that makes you feel proud, it will be less easy than you think. But this is the purpose of a spiritual path is to ignite this passion, this fire in us so that we can bring it into our physical lives where we pay bills and make lunches. This is where we need the divine inspiration because this is where we are living. And so we are advocates here at Naughty Shaman of both the deep path And the wide path, the deep path of transcendence, how deep can we go into the unknown, into the mystery, into the unexplainable? We are courageous adventurers into these realms and we are map makers for untold countless mysteries. And we want to be wide in the imminent path of how broadly can we affect and touch the people around us in positive ways. The combination of this path is where the power is for me. So if you've had the two by four, here's what you got to do. Here's what you got to do, my friends. You have to recognize that these moments, these huge awakenings are symbolic. They are gifts for you. So find a coach or find a way to meditate and contemplate, journal, but find the symbolic meaning. What does it mean for you? These visions, these dreams, these experiences, these synchronicities. What meaning does this have for you? What learning can you harvest from them? You have to ask this question. Otherwise, it's just magic. The question of what learning does it contain for me creates alchemy. Because now you're mixing the magic with what you know. And you're creating something new. This is alchemy. This is what we want to do with these experiences. So that's the first thing. What am I learning? What is the wisdom here? What does this mean for me? How can I make meaning from this experience? That's step one. Step two, find a community of people who can support you in this quest. It's a quest of personal inquiry. It's a quest of spiritual growth. You are on a quest of deeper, of wider, of further, of more. You have become a spiritual explorer if you step on this path. So you want to surround yourself with people who also do that. Also, you want to surround your people with people who do not do that. This is very grounding. I have a whole group of friends who we talk about deck stain and and what the children are going to do in school next year. And I love these conversations because this is part of the imminent path. 
These people are sacred. These people are divine. They're talking to me about martinis and they are the face of God. And if we forget that, if we judge this, then we, our God is not big enough. If we are judging people who are different than us, then our God is not big enough. Our cosmology has not grown enough. We have to grow in the imminent path to begin to see the divine in every single thing. The homeless person, the person that's sitting in the million dollar mansion down the street. Okay, that's the find a community of people that support this quest and have a community of people that ground you and that might not be on this quest. The last thing, find a teacher. This is a path, if you want to really become a master of this alchemy of taking spiritual experiences and making them into wisdom, then you will need a teacher. And in your teacher, be choosy. Sometimes when we are hungry for spiritual information and wisdom, we are like a starving wolf. And to a starving wolf, a bologna sandwich looks like prime rib. And we'll eat a bologna sandwich thinking it's the best thing ever. We'll pick the first teacher we can find and think everything she says is true. I'm going to be just like her. This is a rookie mistake we've all made. I encourage you to not make this, to be patient, to watch your contenders, watch your teachers, watch them in real life, watch them how they interact with people when they're not teaching. Watch how they interact with their children. Watch them live their life. Do they do their work? Are they still on a spiritual path or have they arrived? I have caution for the teachers who feel that they have arrived. I have incredible respect for my teachers who are on the path still because they're still exploring and they're still growing and they're still learning. Find a teacher who is one that will preserve your power, who will not take away your no or your yes or your free will. This is your spiritual path. If a teacher wants to take over and create a lot of dogma for you, I would slow down, pump the brakes, double check, make sure, do due diligence. So that's the steps. If you've been knocked awake by a two by four experience, Figure out what is the meaning for you. What can you learn from this? Begin to alchemize it. Find a community that is also on the quest and have a community of people that might not be. And finally, find a teacher. Find a teacher that you trust, that vibes with your vibe and can push you safely deeper into your own wisdom. All right, my loves, this is it. I had a lot to say today. I had no idea. I haven't even had a cup of coffee yet. This is amazing. I like the morning podcasts. So you can check out, um, if you're interested in a teacher, you can check me out. You can check out the people that work at the Shamanic Center. And you can go to our website at NaughtyShaman.com. We want you to check us out. We want you to do our due diligence. We want you to put us to the test. Because this is how we stay in integrity. And this is a passion of ours. All right, my darlings, enjoy your life. Look for the extraordinary and recognize that even in the ordinary, there lives the extraordinary. All right, signing off from Naughty Shaman, where we like to keep the sacred a little wild and totally real.